Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Sequelizers. What once was the show about fixing bad sequels to good movies, it's another spin-off episode this time. And since it is Mr. Stuart Ashen's swan song, we're going to be discussing some video game movies we wish existed. I'm your host, as usual, Jack Chambers, and joining me, Mr. Alexander Plowman. Hello. Mr. Stuart Ashen. Hello. Timothy Matum. It's a me. And Matthew Stogden. I got nothing. You never do, Matthew. You <laughs> never do. do. And everyone regrets it. So. <laughs> you thankful. either have nothing or too much. Yep. <laughs> the Stogden way. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned, we're going to be discussing some video game films we wish existed. Because, I mean, our speciality is shit films here. And oh, there's been a lot of bad, <laughs> really bad video game movies. Someone argue lots that lots of good ones. T- t- no way. Someone <laughs> argue there hasn't been any good ones. Um. Uh, the, yeah. Pretty. Yeah. There's 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 an argument to be made there for no such thing as a good video game film. I mean, we we've talked about them in potential sort of sequelizer territory, like the Street Fighter franchise and stuff like that, because um, the Mortal Kombat films. There's a lot of a lot of garbage. The the Angelina Jolie Lara Croft films. <laughs> mm. I think there's. There's a lot that people have affection for. Like, I would look back at the Mortal Kombat films because I watched them when I was, like, 11 and be like, yeah, they're great, but they are not good films. Hmm. So I guess the question then is, why aren't video games good films? That's a very good question. Well, a lot of them are just bought as a cheap license and they knock out some old shit with the same name on. Dead or Alive, Tekken, etc., etc. Alone in the Dark. Uh, in fact, I could probably keep going for about a week <laughs> and only mention Uwe Boll films. Um, but yeah, and the other thing is, it's always hard to adapt that narrative of very, very long things happening for 35 hours thing mm. into two hours. And filmmakers like to change all the details as well, often into things which don't work. <laughs> You've got a lot of kind of more cinematic experiences in video games now as well, especially with companies like Naughty Dog making the Uncharted series and The Last of Us and stuff like that. They're almost films with a bit of gameplay kind of sprinkled in there. And then you get even get things like the Telltale games where it's almost no gameplay and mostly storytelling. Those would translate well into films, but they're also basically films anyway. So why would you bother? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. one of my thoughts when I um, when I was first talking to you guys, like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. I was like, oh, I'll do Uncharted. Oh, shit. That's all, first of all, it's already in production. And second of all, it's sort of in production hell. And third of all, does it work? We've already got three, un- four Uncharted movies, five Uncharted movies, six Uncharted movies, depending on how many games you want to count. Mm. And it's like, they're basically films anyway with some shooting sections in between. Is part of the problem not that video games, um, at least traditionally, part of the appeal is not necessarily the uniqueness of the narrative, but the idea that you are taking part in a narrative that you Mm. are quite familiar with, but that gives you agency as the protagonist. So, for example, Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider is a cliched Indiana Jones-style adventure movie in a video game. Resident Evil is a George Romero zombie movie in a video game. And by the time you try and adapt these things into films you end up with something that while it felt very unique in the video game world feels less so in the cinema world because we've already seen that Mm. and adapting it to a different medium you lose the uniqueness and end up with something you've already seen before 
Yeah, I think like so much of video games is about the interactive nature of them. And it's about, uh, we mentioned how, you know, they're, a video game can be, you know, 35 hours long, if not, you know, longer. You take something like a Final Fantasy game and you're mm. talking 200 hours, <laughs> you know, uh, and it's about those narrative loops and those things that keep you make make you keep playing but that is a completely different kind of language to what you have in film and trying to take what makes a video game work and convert that over to a film can sometimes like completely strip out what what is actually enjoyable about it and what people are going to it for and often, I think the problem with some games is they do want to try and be a film on some level. And this usually comes across with some insufferable expository cutscene that comes across like a sub-Z movie that they should be <laughs> lampooning on Mystery Science Theatre 3000. And you can get loads of these in a game. And if it's short and it's a bit campy and doesn't really make much sense, you can kind of get away with that in the game world. But even even the short ones when you try and turn it into an actual narrative a real film it's just not going to work is it yeah it's a combination of extended uh well actually, i don't think it's even extended i think it's more just drawn out character development so some of the uh developments in video game characters think oh well they reveal these amazing plot points that go on for so long it's like no, no there's too much just padding and filler that you enjoy because of the puzzle element or the gameplay element or whatever it is in the actual game itself that makes you you know continue playing um but at the same time uh i think you guys are right ultimately that the most video game characters even a really fleshed out one in a in a more cinematic style gameplay like the last of us or something like that is still going to have a bit of a hollow shell of a person outside of those cut sequences because you want the uh the player to invest in that you know project themselves into that character at least do something mm. they can say you know i can i can um, play this through and imagine it's myself but again, when you start trying to hammer out, well, hang on, if we're making an actual character who has an actual arc uh, for a cinematic purpose, you have to define those things and nail them down. Not what an audience think it's. Even like if you take Assassin's Creed, because I always will, um, <laughs> for, you've got like a, a character who span over three different games, Ezio, for example, a big fan favorite. Tons of development there. But if you tried to create that into a character, even with all the backstory elements, even with everything that's happened to him and, and the various characters' interactions, he would probably have maybe five defining traits it would down to the sort of at, at different ages depending what is it's all down to the story that drives him uh, but he has a few you know arc changes as a character but if you were to try and write that as a character in a screenplay it doesn't translate very well do you think that <clears throat> part of the problem with this is also that there are lots of video games, but only a very limited pool of video games that are up for adaptation because so much of this is mm. about recognisable brands, which means going for AAA titles. Do you think that it is that there's actually a limited pool of selection for games and that those AAA games don't necessarily lend themselves? Because, Jack, you were saying about Telltale, mm. yeah, but the... The interesting thing there is that Telltale make games that are kind of a niche thing, relatively in in video game terms. I mean, they're popular, but they're not. Well, they went out of business, so yeah, yeah. yeah well, there is that. <laughs> Obviously, but, weren't doing too well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there are certainly in, uh, interesting things going on in sort of your indie games scene, and obviously with with stuff like Steam that has exploded over the past you know ten fifteen years. But I think a lot of the places where it's getting more experimental 
um, they're often more pushing at the boundaries of kind of like how you interact with the game and, and stuff like that rather than necessarily I think I think when you get indie developers and smaller titles and stuff like that they're often they're they're more interested in making a really great game than necessarily crafting a story that's mm. going to turn into a franchise mm. like I think it in some ways yes it is a shame that it's only the AAA games that that get adapt uh adaptations but it kind of also makes sense because they're the ones that have gone like we want to be a blockbuster like mm. both as a game and as a as a cultural phenomena um you know again that doesn't always possibly you know you can take something like super mario like the biggest arguably the biggest character in gaming one of the most popular franchises but like you could not make us like mm. obviously we have seen one failed attempt <laughs> at the super mario game and even like like the people who are making because there's new one in development i think and they've mm. basically held their hands up and gone like yeah there isn't really a story to <laughs> super mario there's some characters and a setting yeah and, and we guess. say characters they exist visually there, there, are, yes. people, there are people and yeah. yeah yeah i guess essentially your option there is that you're using those characters then as a shell to mm. put whatever story uh, you want shell. onto yeah yeah Oh, I thought it was a portal reference. Oh. Um, but you're shell. using you're using those characters as a vessel <laughs> to um Hey, hey, blue vessel. <laughs> you're using you're using those characters to project um a story onto. And that then becomes um a problem because if everybody else has been doing that, mm. and then you get, oh, your story was not at all my story. Why is Sonic so smart alecky? I thought Sonic was meant to be cutesy. In my mind, he had this voice. In my mind, he didn't sound like Danny DeVito at all. You know, <laughs> that's the... Well, he does in mine. <laughs> yeah, that's the most like the Mass Effect argument. Um, because it's like, well, you can play either the Renegade option or the Paragon option. It's like, well, if you've only ever played it a certain way and suddenly a film says, this is now canon, you're very much being almost betrayed in a way by yeah. the... But also that's part of the problem with producers. Well, they sort of favor AAA games because companies and production houses and studios will say, what are we going to make it like a franchise out of? And what are we going to make, back to our cinematic universe mindset, what are we going to, to you know, spawn something that's going to go on for on age and ages? Same thing with comic book properties. It's like, is this something we can go back to and drill down for again and again? Not the novelty of like, this is a pretty good standalone piece. It's like, are we going to be able to make tons of merchandise in this and tons of sequels? Given that we, we seem to be in agreement that there haven't been any good... Uh, video game films what do we think are the most successful even if they failed assassin's creed you're gonna fuck yourselves <laughs> uh mortal Kombat, the first one mm. i would say is it just for the title music um i mean yeah <laughs> but i think I, it it was just it's kind of a daft movie but i think that mm. it's and essentially it's a in some respects, it's a PG-13 remake of Enter the Dragon, but with <laughs> monsters oh, yeah. in it. Uh, but that's essentially... That's, a, that's an elevator pitch but, and a half. You know, <laughs> but given that Mortal Kombat leans so heavily into that kind of stuff anyway, it's like, for what it is, it's fine. It's not an amazing film, 
but it kind of works. It goes off the rails for the second one for all kinds of reasons, but that just about holds it together. Like I said, not a great film, but an acceptable film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nonsense and it's campy nonsense, but it knows it's nonsense. It's not trying to what? suddenly hit you with, oh, wait, but now you must feel emotionally invested in the story of Sonya what? Blade's dead child or something. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not trying to be a proper film. It's like, here's some fucking weird monsters and some loud noises. Enjoy. Mm. Mortal Kombat knows it's campy nonsense. Yes. And yes. I think that the it's film does, yeah, absolutely. Does, does the same thing. But so does Street Fighter, and that was shit. So shit. Street Fighters. Oh, I don't know what makes that different. That's the question. Yeah. That's the question. I feel like Street Fighter that. takes itself a little bit more seriously than. Is it at least the, the fans take it a lot locations? more seriously? Our films. Yeah, it's still. I, I mean, it's still. It's still. It, I think it's. It's aware how stupid it is because it's a very colourful, bombastic, silly thing. And and Raul Julia, who is the best thing about that film, without a doubt, he's very much well aware of what's going on. He's oh, yes. probably chewing the scenery in a beautiful way, um, but. No, I think they knew what they were doing with it. But equally, it just didn't sell with us because I think it was too bright. And it sounds silly, but because Mortal Kombat feels darker, it's like, ah, dark and silly. You're entering the sort of trauma territories that feels appropriate for some reason. I think there's an argument to be made that also the problem with uh, Street Fighter is that it put Guile... Uh, as oh. the central character, yeah, um, and made clearly, in Belgium, <laughs> clearly should be Ryu. Like, yeah. you know, um, I feel like. The Mortal Kombat film mostly got that right. Like, no, I think it got the character dynamic pretty, yeah. pretty. The thing with Mortal Kombat is, as well, you keep the simplicity of here's some people, they all get together and have a big fight. Yeah. And you really want the good guys to win or Earth is fucked. It's mm. nice and simple. Mm. And there's Raiden hanging around, that kind of stuff. Whereas Mortal Street Fighter, my God, I mean, like Chun Li's like a reporter and Balrog's yeah. no sign, so is he Honda. Yeah. <laughs> he's not Japanese, he's Hawaiian or something. And then you've got Bison and his guys. And then they just try to shoehorn everything in. Every character's got to try and do something and none of it works. Yeah, you just end up like big, oh man. Blanca. Charlie Blanca in that version. <laughs> Rather than Hello, Jimmy Blanca Charles from Blanca. the Capcom game. <laughs> Hi guys, it's Alec here. I just wanted to make a quick interjection. While I was editing this episode, I realized that I'd not actually watched the Mortal Kombat movie for about 15 years. I decided that I was going to go back and give it a rewatch. And after having rewatched it, I realized that I have completely misremembered this film. Uh, while I say that it's an acceptable pg-13 version of enter the dragon it really isn't it is a steaming pile of garbage uh and i just wanted to correct myself there because i think that to say that is kind of an insult to enter the dragon and to, to make a claim that mortal Kombat is remotely any good in any way was a mistake on my part misremembered by my 14 year old self uh, anyway i might come back and do some kind of discussion about this at some point talk about mortal Kombat in some form so if you want to hear that you know let us know in the comments and all the rest of it anyway back to regularly scheduled sequelizers content so i think we can all agree that we've solved the, all the problems with video game movies and the problems are all the characters in films have to be well defined the more well defined a player character is in a video game the less invested you will be in it and the less you can imprint on it hooray mm. money please hollywood <laughs> <laughs> um Go, going back to my my question of what what have been video game adaptations that work, um, I'm going to raise the point, and it is by no means like an original thought that I have had. It's something that I've seen several people say, is that Scott Pilgrim versus the World, oh. it, even though it's not based on a video game, it uses the video game elements and surroundings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the elements, the language of video games to better effect than most video game films do. 
The problem with that, though, is that it does so in a very knowing way and in a way that it's playing with conventions that it assumes its audience is familiar with. I don't know if a video game movie could do that. I don't know if a video game movie could could turn around and be like, oh, we're self-aware about the fact that we're jumping on boxes and stuff's coming out and, oh, you know. You would would need a video game that was already self-aware. You'd need something like... Yeah, Duke Nukem Conquers Fadford. Something like that. Very briefly, I was just going to say... One that's sort of self-aware, but not really, was um, Doom. Uh, as I don't like Doom as a film at all, but that first, that first person, person scene, yeah. Yeah. It's like it Christ. tries and you're like, stop it. Um, but <laughs> rubbish, also, rubbish, rubbish. oh, it looks like Doom for like yeah. four seconds. And, and then, then you're like, yeah. no, make it stop. Um, but there's another film, which I won't talk about too much because it might be completely spoilers because it's only just come out, but it's called Serenity with Matthew McConaughey and <laughs> Anne Hathaway. Oh, <laughs> And that's yeah, an interesting yeah. one, but I can't talk about it because it will ruin things for people because it's a shit film, but a really ridiculous premise. Um, so just... Go well. The, it's the twist, isn't it? Yeah, read read the Wikipedia page because let's take again. Speaking <laughs> don't like, go and see the film. Read the no, Wikipedia. No, don't fucking see the film and encourage these people. But um, it, yeah, take you talking like Scott Pilgrim for example and video game elements and surroundings and environment. That's very much one to analyze from a contextual point of view. But uh, yeah, terrible film. I'm trying to think of what a po-faced, non-self-aware Scott Pilgrim would be. I think that's dangerously close to Ready, yeah, Player, Ready Player One. one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. As soon as you said that, Tim, I was like, oh, fuck, that's Ready Player One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One that take a thing that knows all about video games but doesn't work. Aha! We've already got one of those. <laughs> Still liked it more than the book. Then again, I liked being ill more than the book. <laughs> <laughs> I like clawing my eyes out with rusty spoons more than Ready Player One. No, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad Scott Pilgrim. So why don't we try and come up with some good ideas then, gentlemen? Shall we... Uh, put our monies where our mouths are, I suppose, and uh, see if we can pitch things to each other and see what we can come up with. Let's do it. And Alec, I'll come to you first. What's your plan for a video game movie that you'd like to see? Okay. The video game movie that I would like to see made is based on a uh, Capcom franchise. Okay. That started in the late, 90s and was sort of a spin-off from an existing franchise in that it took mechanics established and used them in a different context and oh that God. game is it going to be typing of the dead <laughs> oh, I, I was wish. hoping for dark stalkers but i'll take um, typing of the dead so much teasing that game is dino crisis good lord <laughs> and i'm keeping the title before okay. anybody okay before anybody oh no i would assume you would yeah um i think that the thing with Dino Crisis, the reason Resident Evil doesn't work being adapted to, into a film is because it is so um, indebted to a cinematic language already established in things like George Romero zombie movies. And I think that it's very difficult to make a Resident Evil movie that isn't just that, uh, but done not as well. The thing with Dino Crisis is that Dino Crisis presents something that I don't think we've really scene which is r-rated blood and guts horror version of jurassic park (laughs) and part of me thinks that that would be really fun um i don't i don't want to interrupt your pitch too much but i was this close to doing uh turok dinosaur hunter (laughs) (laughs) Um, because i had basically the same is that how you set up the cinematic universe as the end you see Turok pick up his knife out of the dead on dinosaur the dino gore though yeah i mean that's what you're selling out and it's and it's the fact that the jurassic park films have stopped working because they 
they they work on that thing of wonder and we've kind of run out they don't try and do that anymore yeah and so you should just ratchet up like the horror and the action and make it a full-blown action film yeah and you 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 know you'd keep it fairly schlocky because the dino crisis games lend themselves to that as do the capcom well i was saying you turning something that's kind of funny and self-aware into something deadly serious just doesn't work yeah and the other way around so yeah yeah so it would be keeping the tone makes sense yeah campy tongue-in-cheek kind of thing it would have a low budget an almost sort of grindhouse vibe to it Mm. uh but i think that if you really leaned into that and i mean depending on how you want to go i think there's two ways you could do it actually you can either go really grindhouse or you can go really lean mean low budget horror Dog premise yeah you can either Ooh. go oh. neil marshall <laughs> there's the neil marshall in case you didn't catch that listeners the whole room went oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can either go down the neil marshall that, yeah. route yeah. or you can go down the robert rodriguez route yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can mm. and either of those you can have your schlocky ridiculous uh dinosaurs movie mm. with the crazy kind of b-movie effects and things or you can have a yeah and I mean, Dog Soldiers is a bit schlocky in places, but it's fairly taut as yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you could make either of those work. And how many elements you keep, because correct me if I'm wrong, I've not played Dino Crisis in years, but the dinosaurs are time traveling. Is that the thing at the end? Is they've built like a time portal? Jesus, it's I don't remember at all. I assume you were going to know this because yeah, I yeah, the I Dino Crisis. And, but, I've played know, both of them and I don't fucking remember. <laughs> but if you want to go, if you want to go schlocky, then you can keep that in. If you want to go a bit more serious, yeah, you can yeah, leave yeah, that yeah. out. But it gives you some scope. You could have a lot of fun with a Dino Crisis movie, I think. I thought it was interesting you said about R-rated because my, my man is like, oh shit, you can have real problems because dinosaurs outside Jurassic Park don't usually work very well. They don't, at least, if you think about it, they've got equivalent, you've got uh godzilla the emmerich version you've got king kong the uh, mostly this the jackson version but i'm saying they're like mainstream dinosaurs outside of jurassic park franchise that's done well but as, as stupid as it sounds now neil marshall's in the discussion i'm like i'm on board <laughs> i think i think just precisely because that's not something that we've seen it just yeah, struck yeah. me when mm. thinking about it is dino crisis is kind of unique because i've never seen an r-rated dinosaur movie before no mm. and then my question was why and i'm assuming it's because hollywood doesn't make them because dinosaurs sell really well to kids yeah kids right. really like dinosaurs so they're like we have to make a dinosaur movie that the ages five to yeah. 11 mm. aren't going to be excluded from because that's part of our demographic but dinosaurs are scary yeah so <laughs> that's stupid yeah, dinosaurs yeah. are really scary and if you've read the original jurassic park oh, fuck, novel yeah. as well now that's a hard r yes. as far as yeah, the rating yeah, goes and it's really interesting how michael Crichton adapted that into the jurassic park script i yeah. think he wrote the script didn't he i'm pretty sure he adapted um, it, yeah yeah because it, it's a very different thing and when you read that book you then get a sense of oh yeah r-rated dinosaurs could work and be really terrifying and we could do really fun gross things with this mm. so yeah i that that to me seems seems like a place to go mm-hmm. it's just occurred to me actually kids love dinosaurs we are all fully aware of this mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's rare the dinosaur stuff actually works for them you've got jurassic park land before time mm-hmm. then you've got things like disney's dinosaur oh, the one yeah. nobody remembers shit. and what was the recent one the good dinosaur, yeah. dinosaur. dinosaur. Yeah. Was that? that was that w- actually pixar yeah that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was quite, yeah. quite good and yet yeah. made no impact. No, yeah, nobody cares yeah, about it. it it's because it, it came out the same year as another Pixar that was Inside better. Out, wasn't it? Yes, oh, Inside, Inside Out. Out. That was it. Yep. But also, yep. remember, I think we're back a dinosaur story with <laughs> John 
Goodman, oh I want to say. Oh, my God. 1990-something. Or the TV, the TV show Man, Dinosaurs. That's, that's a deep Dinosaurs TV show. That's, that's, that's a good yeah. show, to be fair. Just the Simpsons in rubber suits. <laughs> <laughs> Denver, the last dinosaur. Dino Saucers, all your 80s non-classics. Oh, yeah. right. Dino Riders. Dino Riders, to be fair. Dino Riders was going to be my cinematic franchise thing before. <laughs> Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. I won't be like There's that. one for you. You shouldn't have asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, part of it might also be, of course, that Jurassic Park has set a pretty heavy precedent to yes, follow very true. i think how you and it was it was what um has been said earlier which is jurassic park really inspired wonder and how you yeah, do that again yeah. it's difficult to make a wondrous dinosaur movie after that that's the thing that the jurassic parks themselves struggle with so that's the point you turn that you say pull the plug on the wonder and just go well fuck you then we're gonna scare the shit yeah. out of you then. do you guys do you guys forget that they've got teeth yeah <laughs> they've got teeth yeah. they're gonna they gonna bite you yeah that's, yeah i feel like the opening the scene of jurassic park with the like the shoot the, her shoot her yeah the, the raptor in the cage is very kind of dino crisis that's very horror-y yeah and then again when the raptor is chasing Dr. Sattler down the corridor and yeah. she's like closing the gate behind her and yeah. it's just the and arm stuff. on the just, yeah, yeah exactly you could just yeah. really go full pelt on that yeah mm-hmm. and it's, like distill those bits of Jurassic Park into like yeah a lower budget kind of corridor horror type stuff yeah because it's like they they're all manufactured in a science facility and you're right it is like time travel there's a theory that there's a warp in the space-time continuum and all this kind of stuff and i think it's ever actually confirmed which one it is until later on in the series and i think it is time travel or like right. they've been experimenting with some other energy source or something and it's caused a rift in, in the space-time <laughs> and continuum then dinosaurs because di- yeah. and then dinosaurs yeah Makes exactly <laughs> i know we um we're talking about the idea of protagonists and you know projecting onto protagonists i remember very distinctly the red hair and the bodysuit i don't remember the name of the character from dino crisis regina that's it regina regina (laughs) (laughs) correct um yeah so would you keep that sort of character or would you go with like a team or what would no i'd I'd keep the character i think it just adds a lone person the horror craziness yeah and i think again the idea if you wanted to go full schlock Mm. that at the time that kind of works now because it's so dated mm. like 20 mm. years on well halloween's just back and feel... fucking child's play back so it makes sense that you could bring yeah. that kind of schlock back yeah yeah i think that that it would feel very 90s you could make it feel kitschy in 90s yeah. and do a kind of 90s schlock 90s gr- straight to video grindhouse kind of mm. thing um i'm just now picturing like the assault on precinct 13 but all the gangs all the gang members are dinosaurs. dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's there pretty you good. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, this is okay. Uh, Assault and Precinct 13, directed by Neil Marshall. I'm just thinking of who could play that role that isn't Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the first thing the studio funny would thing say. Is like, no. She was miscast, I think, in the Resident Evil series, but it would be Mila Jovovich, wouldn't it? Would be a, Isn't a, she now like, doing Monster Hunter? I think she so. is, yeah. yeah. A Monster Hunter film which has nothing to do with the game series at all. That's classic. Uh, but like, getting frighteningly it wrong. so, because the this game series is all sort of crazy, slightly anime-inspired medieval yes, monsters. very hefty, yeah. And the film's stills released so far have people in modern military gear with rifles leaning against a Humvee in a desert. Oh, God. Uh, Fucking hell. But other welcome, than that... Welcome to video game adaptation. Yeah. 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 Fucking Looks thumbs like they, up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, they nailed exactly everything we said you shouldn't do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Take everything out of the original and just turn it into some modern fucking yeah. Zack Snyder Why bollocks. even pay for the license? It's yeah. got to be focus groups. It's got to be focus groups basically saying... Um, what do you like about this game? Don't know about it. Well, what do you, would you like this? Yeah, let's do that instead. Do you like Milla Jovovich? Yeah. Do you like dinosaurs? 
problem solved, dino crisis. Um, I would like to brutally murder anyone who's been in a focus group and stick their head on a pike as a morning <laughs> runs, which would then stop other people. They're going to be people forming Deterrent, focus yeah. groups. They're yeah. the people focus that are fed no to the dinosaurs in dino crisis. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a that's a Rodriguez move. <laughs> yeah. That is that's a bit yeah very Rob, yeah. Rob Rodriguez meta like. Yeah. yeah, using new facial capture technology, it puts the faces of the audience in the test screening <laughs> on the victims. <laughs> oh, uh, good lord! Yeah, ca- casting Dino Crisis is a weird one. I'm always more kind of reticent to ask who's doing the special effects. Like, mm. h- how are you doing these dinosaurs? How are you getting practically? These? I think, and I think it would That's need to be Jurassic answer. Park style. Yeah. Uh, animatronic kind of, of yeah. um, I mean obviously wouldn't get Stan Winston to do it now because he's, he's no longer with us everything. but um, Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff Jr who did the, the Alien and Predator stuff mm. um, are always a good shout for stuff like that um, yeah but it would have to be practical I think they're right. You know, a practical with a hint or an element of CGI yeah. to do certain things would be good. A little Jar Jar Binks riding each other. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, Dino Crisis. I think it could work. All right, a dinosaur movie. That's going to be a lot of fun. A big gory mess that could either be lean and mean or just balls out crazy. But I think if you go down that route, you're going to get a fun film. Yeah. And that's kind of what you need from a Dino Crisis. Fair enough. Fair enough. Tim, I'm going to come to you next. Ooh. What's your choice, sir? Uh, so I have gone for uh, something of a cult uh, game from uh, came out in the year 2000 uh, from a developer who are probably better known for making uh, the games MDK and the Earthworm Jim series, uh, Shiny, uh, and the game is called Sacrifice. Um, and it was a, a sort of a real-time strategy game, but quite different to your uh, others of that era of, your, you know, your Command and Conquers and your Shogun Total Wars. Um, you controlled a character uh, called Eldred, who was a wizard, uh, who had um, uh, was basically in the, in the kind of the game story was a, a sort of a tyrant from a, another world and uh, was about to be overthrown and summoned a demon to uh, try and get rid of his uh, the kind of the rebellion that wrote, risen up against him and instead it destroyed the world. Uh, and so he's kind of been cast out into the space between dimensions or whatever you want to call it and landed on this world that's these weird floating islands that are overseen by these five different gods. This and, is deep lore already, and I'm, oh, enjoying, yeah. I'm enjoying it. Um, and the game is essentially you working for these different gods and deciding kind of who you're going to favour in each mission and slowly building up a roster of different troops based on the gods that you pick and the plot kind of unfolds from there and eventually the demon that you unleashed uh, comes back um, and tries to destroy this world and one of the gods is turns out is actually um, like betraying and work works with the demon and stuff like that. Um, Basically, I, I came to this selection because I was thinking about what works translating video games into films and we've said how you know like plot doesn't really work because video game stories take place over a long period of time but don't necessarily actually have much story to them um this has got the decent underpinnings of at least the start of a story and throw in some twists and some more supporting characters and stuff and you probably get a decent film there about kind of redemption and stuff like that but the thing that I think it really has is it has a, 
a fun tone. It's quite a kind of wry, a little bit self-aware tone, as you would expect from that publisher, who, you know, recently funny games and stuff like that. But it also has this amazing world. Um, it has these completely bonkers environments that are all these floating islands um, and the creatures that are in it that you gain with each, you know, um, as, as you progress through the game uh, to be parts of your army. You know, some of them are, are based on, you know, traditional fantasy creatures, dragons and stuff like that. But even the, even the ones that are based on, you know, your ogres and trolls and stuff like that have very unique designs. And then there's also completely, like, bizarre creations, um, things like giant flying brains uh, with, like, angel wings and stuff like that. Um, and so... It was a it was a game where the design elements leapt out to me and thought you could create a really fascinating world um, that isn't like something else that has been seen on you know necessarily on cinema. You know, um, Alec was saying earlier about how you know so many of these video game worlds, especially your AAA titles, when when you think about them, they are just stuff we have seen in movies turned into an interactive narrative, and this feels like a world that isn't necessarily, you know, there's elements of fantasy in there, but it's a very unique take on fantasy. Um, uh, and it also has, um, it has the five gods um, who are all uh, relatively interesting characters. They've got quite archetypical. The uh, It's especially notable that the god of earth basically looks like earthworm jim in a pair of dungarees uh, and they all like they all have these like grand names like persephone and charnel and stuff like that and then isn't one of them tim curry yes that was something i was going to get to um uh and then and then that that the god of earth is just called james <laughs> um but yes, uh, it has a great voice cast. It has um, Tim Curry as the voice of evil, mm. of course. Um, and uh, Brad Garrett, who's in like um, Everybody Loves Raymond and stuff like that. Um, uh, he's the voice of James. Um, and it's this very just like prosaic, like, oh, how you doing, buddy? You know, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it has this incredible world. And then I was thinking about like, OK, right. So, you know, very interesting world. You want a really like grand visual sense for it. Um, and I think the way to go for it is to make it the next Leica film and have it be stop motion oh, animated. Oh, um, because I think, A, their films are amazing. Uh, they're fantastic. It would be a decent family-friendly film. Like, <laughs> obviously you have the whole thing of, like, the main character was meant to be a tyrant, but, you know, I think kids are, you know, you can have this guy was a bad man and he did a bad thing and now he's come here and he's, you know, trying yeah. to, you know, that's a decent, simple arc for a kid's film. Kind of like Megamind, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, and I think they could really do justice to the the interesting designs and um, stuff like that. And it means that you could bring back Tim Curry to be the voice of evil and Brad Garrett to be the voice of James. Um, the other um ones i don't think they were as quite as memorable but you know you could either so you could either find new interesting people to be them or go back to the original cast you know who from memory did a fine enough job i've only seen a few clips of the game um and it's one of those things when you look back at an old rts pc game from like early 2000s and you look at it and think the fuck is this <laughs> i mean it looks really interesting but because you don't have that actual connection from the time especially mm. not playing the game just watching the footage back it is very 
uh, but a bit overwhelming to start with. Mm. But as you say, the more you get into things, it seems quite interesting. Uh, and I must admit, when you were talking about this, I thought, oh, this could be really difficult to do. But then you said like, I think, oh no, I completely understand that. Mm. It's a solid shout. That works really well. Um, yeah, I think if you if you tried to do it live action, it would turn into a bit of an over CGI'd mess. And I think this way it still has a physical presence to it. And, you know, you can do bigger things in animation. You can, you know, make it that more otherworldly without it feeling just like characters wandering around in a green screen. Well, that's the problem with CGI, isn't it? It's always trying to go for photorealism. And as much as I think it's an okay film, Warcraft. Duncan Jones mm, did a great exactly job. Exactly what I was thinking. But yeah. fuck me. It's, um, a, it's a sort of not live action, sort of yeah. live action adaptation of mm. a Whereas fantasy if you go RTS. With a, sort of like, yeah, perfect example. Yeah, well, if you go with an animated film, whether it's either like or even like Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, and you mm. lean into those animated tropes of mm. what you're looking at visually, you don't have to worry about what looks photorealistic. I mean, again, like is again, it's such a great example because everything they do is beautiful. It doesn't have to look human. And in, in the sense that you mm-hmm. can tell what they are humanoid. So with that, that Pixar animate their characters in Coco for example I know it's a CGI thing again but Coco is photorealistic despite the fact that it's a warped shape so mm, it's, mm. it's a going for that unique sort of look and feel mm. yeah it's a good I could easily work I think I hope Mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> and i'm sure you know <laughs> our comments are probably going to be like 90 percent people going like never heard of that one and then 10 percent <laughs> people being like oh my god yeah i remember that yeah. um and i think it is one of those that you know obviously you look back and it's a game from 20 years ago basically you know the the polygon count is pretty low on those models mm-hmm. but you know certainly playing it back then when it was you know cutting edge or whatever um the designs and stuff kind of sparked uh, certainly my imagination so much playing it. Um, and I think, you know, you can go back to, um, I'm sure they still have the, you know, concept designs kicking around um, that would be, you know, you could basically just hand them to a bunch of animators and go like, make it like look like we wanted it to if we weren't <laughs> constrained by technology of the time. That's kind of made me want to go and play it, actually. I never have. <laughs> it's super cheap on Steam. Ah, it's like £3.50 brought to you (laughs) (laughs) our new sponsors (laughs) Um, yeah so yeah I think um, like I say I wanted something that had an interesting world and a a fun tone to it so um, yeah that was was my selection Um, there's also something very important we should point out that Shiny Entertainment uh, famously run by the man David Perry which is the same name as the Norwich Puppet Man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and in my head, I like to imagine that he went mad designing games oh and now just plays. I mean, th- their last <laughs> game of note, I think, was Enter the Matrix. And I can oh. imagine that that would be the kind of experience that would lead you to then just go crazy, go crazy yeah. and perform on the streets using puppets. For the listeners who aren't from Norwich, yeah. <laughs> please, please, please Google Norwich Puppet Man and you'll see what we mean. Mm. He's, a, he's a local treasure. He is, he is. So segueing away from Norwich Puppet Man... <laughs> which is basically impossible. Uh, I'm going to stick along similar sort of lines to Tim's late 90s, early 2000s with a cool world, cool kind of history thing. And I'm going to talk about the Legacy of Kane series. Yes. Ooh. Nice. Yeah, everybody, ooh, everybody's exciting. Because everyone remembers Soul Reaver. That's kind of the big one on the PlayStation that everybody really enjoyed. I actually think Soul Reaver 2 is really good as well, and that's kind of the one where the narrative kind of kicks in a bit more. So I'm going to basically do a, um, a, a film that kind of tells the story of Soul Reaver and Soul Reaver 2. For those of you who don't know, 
Legacy of Kane is a basically like vampire series that started in the late nineties with the game Blood Omen, which is the story of Kane, who's like one of the original vampires. He starts off he's resurrected by a necromancer and eventually works his way up through that game, becoming more and more powerful. And vampires in this universe are mental powerful. They turn into lightning, they turn into mist, they can they're basically werewolves as well for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> they can fly like well, they can no, they can jump really high, but they can't fly. Um, and yeah, Kane himself is the protagonist of the first game, the Blood Omen. And by the end of Blood Omen, Kane makes the choice to kind of be the new tyrant of this world to try and save it and kind of make it better in his image. Of course, surprise, surprise, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it goes horribly wrong. And he becomes like evil demon lord of the vampires. And the second game, Soul Reaver, which came out in 1999, I believe, is a story of a guy called Raziel, who's his first sired vampire son. And he's like his lieutenant in his army, basically. And throughout the like, I think he's been in his servitude for like hundreds of years or thousands of years. And Cain's been ruling for thousands of years. And it's been this epic story and epic journey. And Cain always develops a new power so he can turn into lightning and eventually the other vampires, he teaches them to turn into lightning and stuff. And Soul Reaver starts off with Raziel getting wings and he's the first vampire to do it. And Cain, being the dick that he is, gets <laughs> jealous. And the, the opening cinematic, I, I advise you go onto YouTube and watch the Soul Reaver intro because it's, it's fucking awesome. so <laughs> Shakespearean and yeah. epic and ridiculous. And metal. And metal as hell. <laughs> And uh, basically, Cain rips off his wings and throws Raziel into hell, this like swirling portal into hell. And Raziel eventually comes back and is re rejuvenated and reincarnated in this weird, like ghostly form by this elder god. And the rest of it is kind of his battle of, do I follow the advice of this weird elder god who I don't really know who or what that is or what his motivations are to defeat Cain? And it turns out him and Cain aren't actually on different sides and there's a whole time travel thing that comes in mm. in the second one yeah. and it gets mental but the story works and the reason i picked this series is because the gameplay is a bit crap and repetitive but there's a really good story in there somewhere that i think you could distill out of the shit that surrounds it and kind of the opposite of what we were saying earlier of like it's so difficult to get that really long narrative story take a 200 hour game and boil it down into two hours i think if you filter out all the crap from Kane and Soul Reaver and stuff, you might actually get maybe a film, maybe two films if I'm feeling cheeky. But yeah, I think you could get a, a decent sort of two hour, two hour, 15 film out of Raziel's story and then him realizing and him, his journey to redemption against Kane. And then you realize it's also a journey of redemption for Kane as well. And there's Mobius, the time traveling guy, and the second one in Soul Reaver 2. They did do. There's Blood Omen 2 later, which is an alternate timeline prequel. Don't ask. Oh, so and is that where you can choose between Kane and... No, that's Defiance. That's the last oh, one, which is also the different. culmination of the story, sort of, where they battle each other at the end, and it's a whole... Your destiny was always locked, and you have no choice kind of thing. And it's um, Yeah, because that's great in video games. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the decisions you make at the end of each game don't actually influence what's going on in the next ones and they have this kind of canon that carries through but there's also constantly i think it ends up being like four different canon timelines that happen with different versions of kane and different versions of Raziel and blah 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 blah. it's mental but i think you could distill it into something that would work 
I think Soul Reavers. I mean, I played those games a lot when I was a teenager, and I fucking. They seem like very Matthew games. They are (laughs) early two thousands, like goth metal, yeah, vampires and shit. Curtains (laughs) (laughs) and no jaw. Oh, you look like (laughs) Razzle. No, no, they were the really cool. Yeah, you're right. Block puzzles were fucking irritating. Legacy game puzzles really fucking annoying because he's like, ah, it's daytime. I can't do anything. It's like shit. This is terrible. But the story is wonderful because it does end with this. I guess spoilers. Um, but the, the, cinematically, it does end really beautifully. Like, oh, he's going to have to not only time travel and kill himself and then literally turn his own sword on himself in his own physical body. It has, the, And then he just sinks back into his own hell he started in and thought, fuck. And it's that existential sort of, sort of inception-y kind of the descent ending where you're like, oh, this is grim. Yes. Yeah. And I think that could... Do- work with it and again the world building is really nice it's all mist and smoke and yeah and the world of nosgoth is like the a gothic fantasy like, yeah. like tim burton's wet dream basically yeah. it's like this ridiculous crazy everything epic. underworld wishes it was yeah who do you see as directing starring you know um i think there's a very obvious choice and i, I meant i jokingly mentioned this to matt like oh i might be doing something and he guessed what i was doing and it's Guillermo del Toro. It's mm. got to be. I, I'm going from that kind of... He made Hellboy work, and that has that... Holy shit, there's suddenly loads of demons, and it's interacting with... Because all, all, a big part of the Soul Reaver games is there's a spectral realm and a physical realm, and Raziel can't die because he's already dead. He's like a revenant, basically, so he travels backwards and forwards between these things as you die. And you can consciously do that to like travel through a gate that isn't there in the spectral realm and all that kind of stuff. And I think... Del Toro's mind for that weird visual style and having a really distinct spectral realm, physical realm. Elder, he loves Lovecraft, like mm. going all weird Elder God shit and stuff like that. I think would just work really well. And yeah, and there was basically no one else I thought of that could really yeah. do it justice. Because obviously, and the acting as well is very tricky because. Um, as I said before, it's very Shakespearean. Oh, it's so incredibly it's very theatrical. Is the voice acting is fantastic, it is. and loads of it, loads of it is really kind of like, like you said, Matt, really existential and eloquent and stuff. And it's it's never like ah, you and me, we must fight to the death. It's like ah, must our eternal souls truly battle one more time, <laughs> Raziel? Yeah. We've done this for millennia, my dear friend, and all it's like really ridiculous like campy Shakespearean yeah. stuff it's like the dude who plays I can't remember the guy who voices Razzle but he kept saying vampire and it's like <laughs> yes you got Tony J as the voice of the elder god oh, that Tony J wonderful role the elder god just, yeah. yeah yeah so it's very difficult I can't even think who would cast with that one it'd be so difficult so for the elder god you mentioned it'd just be voice acting because I don't know how yeah, you yeah, pl- yeah. I don't know how you play a you know Bin a t- 10,000 mile long celestial squid. Bin but, bags. Uh, I'm going for the voice of Jeremy Irons. Oh, yeah. I think he's got enough gravitas and enough like, arise, Razia. Yeah. That kind of like, that vocal fry at the end there mm-hmm. you need to kind of convey. That was practically Ian McDermott. In, oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean. In, uh, Revenge of the Sith. You're, you're welcome. Rise, Vita. <laughs> <laughs> I was an octave lower, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good shout, though. I like, I like Ryan's. I would have gone Rickman if he wasn't dead. Yes. Yeah. Rickman was, was my thinking as well. And I saw a few... I was I was seeing like, oh, have people already done this idea? A few people had. Oh, yeah. And Rickman was the top of people's yeah, list yeah. about 10 years ago. And I was like, oh, man, that would have been, been good. Uh, for Kane, this is the hardest one for me to cast. And I went back and forth with a few different people. I think Ray Fiennes might be making a good cane. He's quite Shakespearean, channel some of his Voldemort kind of weird mannerisms, and he's got that kind of... Because Kane is like this... I'd have to redesign the character because 
he's basically dressed like Sean Connery from Zardos at that point. <laughs> he's, like, he is, yeah. he's, got, he's got just a shoulder cape yeah. and like a, and a bandolier across his chest and then trousers. And then the rest of him is like just sinew and muscle and like this weird grey. I don't know how I'm doing that, but and <laughs> Ray Fiennes is not. Have you seen Coriolanus? Uh, no, I haven't. Coriolanus, um, Shakespearean adaptation of Coriolanus, uh, directed and starring Ray Fiennes, and he's quite menacing. But he's just a shaved head mm. uh, Roman in that film. But it, uh, but contemporary setting. But yeah, he's quite menacing. Mm. Yeah. Blood all over his face. I, I think that could work. Right? Yeah, that that jumped to mind mm. when um, when you mentioned Ray mm. Fiennes of yeah Voldemort, and then that that Shakespeare. Yeah, it, mm. it's my primary. Like I'm sure he's done other Shakespeare, but yeah, yeah he's so good in that. So. Also, he's uh, a fucking Nazi in uh, Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah, he can do horrible. evil. Yeah, he can yeah. totally do evil. And for Raziel, I was going. I was thinking, kind of younger. Unfortunately, it's going to be a film full of like young British or, or like British actors, basically. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but digitally replaced because <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the, you said the main character of Raziel is missing his lower jaw, yeah. so it's kind of difficult to do that. Uh, I was going to go for Tom Hiddleston. I think he's he's oh. lanky enough. He's kind of weird enough. He could be a kind of yeah. It, you get the cool vampire scenes, you get the revenant scenes. I think you would kind of work. He also brings in the audience. Of, uh, that <laughs> brings in the ladies. <laughs> ladies love a bit of gothic Tom Hiddleston. So the character design, so yeah, Kane was that kind of Eric of Melnabone kind of... Yeah, very much yeah. so, yeah, yeah very much Elric, yeah. But Razil, yeah, because yeah, he was like a purple guy with glowing eyes, literally no jaw. No and jaw, like yeah. a big, has, a, has a big scarf Yeah, rubber yeah. scarf, he'd like pull yeah. out and suck souls. Suck souls yeah. Yeah. So yeah. would he be CG? Um, I don't know. That, would that's something I hadn't... If you think Crimson <laughs> Peak, uh, uh, Del Toro yeah. took a lot of visual makeup stuff and then enhanced it with a bit of CGI on top of it. Um... I wonder how many times I can squeeze Doug Jones in there as various different creepy vampire (laughs) monsters and Mm. stuff. But yeah, I would think Del Toro would probably go a bit more practical. Like, he made the bloody Gill Man from Shape of Water kind of Mm, believable, and that's really lanky and weird and kind of like... And with with the scarf around the mouth, you could do... Yeah, he's missing his jaw, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah. 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 Hang on, the mouth is covered. Have you considered Tom Hardy? Okay. My father. Oh, he never used the same voice twice. <laughs> He'll be doing an impression of Sue Pollard for the whole film. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, yeah, my uh, my pitch is Legacy of Kane, and I think it'd be a ridiculous kind of mm. fantasy gothic romp. I'm worried it would end up a bit like Underworld. You're kind of hinted at that, Mike. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping it'll be Underworld, but good, because those films got bad very quickly. So let's transition, shall we, from Legacy of Cain to something a little bit different. Matthew Stogden. Let's let's get away from all these kind of 2000s PlayStation 1 era games. What have you yeah. got for us, Matthew? Um, I think you'll find it's a PlayStation 1 game from 1998. <laughs> <laughs> that's my, my series started in 1996. <laughs> I mean, that's... On brand. Uh, no, so I'm going to go with specifically the first Tenchu games, Ooh. Tenchu Stealth Assassins, which is a game about uh, technically one of two ninjas, sort of, um, from the... What a good start with. Technically <laughs> one of two people, sort of. Well, it's, 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 you play the exact same story as two different characters, but I'm going to merge it into one story. Not Resident Evil 2, but not. Kind of, actually. Well, yeah. Yes, that's yeah, a good... That's, yeah, good answer, yeah. So... Um, there are two separate ninjas, Rikimaru and Ayame, and they both work for Lord Goda, who is a noble lord in sort of feudal uh, Japan. And then there is an evil sorcerer called Lord Mayo, 
which as an Irishman, Delicious. Leo is a county, <laughs> not an evil lord. Oh, I was um, thinking the condiment, but can't. No, even then, Mayo is a county before it's a condiment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but basically, yeah, So he and he summons this uh, demon or demonic being called the Onikage who goes around and just disrupts things. And, and you have to sort of, it's, I think it's 10 levels, and you work through, stealthy way through the levels with incredibly low, shallow sort of depth of field of where you can actually mm. see things. It's very, very difficult, but very, very fucking fun. And um, So you said it's the most grounded... I'm not saying the bad guy is an evil sorcerer who summons a demon. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. (laughs) And um, it was all a dream. It was all a dream (laughs) in the shower. And uh, you go through these 10 levels and, you know, kill a bad guy as you go climb a tower, sort of game of death style in a weird way. And you finally get to the final boss and he is the sorcerer himself. Simple as that. Now, the reason it's quite grounded, in my opinion, is that um, I would. Again, it's the, if we do the classic sort of sequelizers thing, I would say if I was releasing this, it'd be 2005, personally, Ooh. just because I wanted to. Okay. Yeah. And I would get Takeshi, or sorry, Takashi Mike to do this. And the reason I think it's good, because he's, he's done quite a few very visceral, gory sort of films. The, the sort of Black Society trilogy, and he's done Audition, Itchy the Killer, but also then he's done more period films of late, like 13 Assassins and Harakiri is a very good remake. But more importantly... Of late, especially, he's done JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Ace Attorney. So he's done a video game film that's actually quite good, apparently. So, um, but then it's also an incredibly faithful adaptation. So it's very cartoony and very ridiculous and very, very silly. So is it an adaptation of a particular Ace Attorney? Thing, I don't know if it is a specific like... game, as it is right, more just okay. a, I think it's another installment, as it right, were, another right. Phoenix Wright um, escapade. But he has experience with doing that, and he's very much about a loyal adaptation of the visuals and the casting, etc. As Ricky Maru, who is the um, main ninja, sort of white-haired assassin, quite um, honourable and a bit jaded, big scar down his face, I'd go Taro Yamamoto, who is uh, one of the older kids from Battle Royale. He also was in uh, Izo, which is directed by Mike. I think about 2004. So they worked with each other before. And again, very ta- sort of talented, very sort of stoic look to his face. And he's also, again, sort of because of Battle Royale's popularity around that point, known to an American audience as well. So that would be, again, something we'd work on. Um, also from Battle Royale, um, to play Ayami, we go um, Ko Shibasaki, who was in, again, Battle Royale. She's also in Go with uh, Yamamoto. Um, and she's in 47 Ronin recently with, um, I say, recently, oh, fairly recently Keanu. with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Um, oh, and, God, yeah. That yeah. <laughs> not, not a good film as an example, but well, that she's was in a it. film that exists. Yeah. Um, so she's, I, I would completely change the character though, because in the game you can alternate between the two different uh, ninjas. And uh, Ricky Mara is really interesting and, you know, reasonably well developed. He, he helps a character commit seppuku at one point. So it's all very honorific. Whereas Ayami's a bit of an asshole. It's just this sassy kid. And she just taunts everyone and is quite painful. I don't know if it's because it's lost in translation. Also, the fucking voice acting is atrocious. But we could work that character into something, you know, just a bit m- more interesting and have them work as a bit of a dynamic, doing an offer and submissions and as a, a thing. Uh, Lord Goda, I'd have uh, Koji uh, Yakusho, who was in Memoirs of a Geisha and Babel and 13 Assassins again with and Harakiri, uh, Mika things, being, you know, an honourable... Uh, feudal lord who would train these kids and you got again, a bit of a um, father-son, father-daughter kind of motif going on, so that's quite nice. And a, the Onikage 
The Onikage Lord Mayo thing, I was going to go with um, Hiroyuki Sanada, solely because I love Hiroyuki Sanada. He's in things like Message from Space, which Stuart and I have seen. It's the Star Wars film from Japan that is not the Star Wars, and no. it's ridiculous. But that's not what he's known for. He's in uh, the original Ring. He's in the Last Samurai, Sunshine, Forty Seven Running. Oh, again, that guy, yeah, Sunshine, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. Ama- he's fucking amazing. I love him as an actor. I think he's he's great. But I like the idea of uh, not only the only Kage is this sort of a demonic presence, but him and Mayo being the same actor, so that you could have him being like a demonic, you know. Thing uh, okay. But in terms of the actual structure of the story, it's literally just some ninjas run around Japan, offing a load of local lords, and then finally getting to the the, the sorcerer who's conjured this and again i should say the demon demonic sort of person is just a guy he doesn't really have a lot of magical powers it's only when you get to the final battle that it becomes a bit more uh big trouble in little china with lightning and and a flaming (laughs) sword a big fiery cult and all that sort of stuff and sort of like uh it gets stuff that sort of range into horror elements where you've got lots of fire breathing ghouls and shit like that but again i think it's, it's quite a straightforward story and something that i think japan probably would and could i had to before i went oh this is a great idea i'll go with this and then thought hang on have, have they already done this and i just haven't noticed um and there's a few sort of obviously similar sort of releases lots of semi-supernatural uh feudal sort of things going on but no i think that's quite easy to do and because you've got a few games there you could got a few bit sequels you could do or just develop on because i think tenchu 2 is a prequel so i wouldn't worry about that too much but um yeah i think it's a uh, a solid and easy if i'm honest pick but again because i wouldn't say oh what's that a japanese game get me scarlett johansson (laughs) um so yeah all the characters for everybody everybody so even the water every single actually played by scarlett johansson so what are you changing about the dynamic between the two original characters? Well, that's the thing. There is no dynamic between the originals. That's it, what I mean. Are you, yeah. are you, if you're having them in there at the same time, what's the difference between them? I think you can game? add a lot of interesting... Um, sexual tension. Sexual tension. <laughs> <laughs> um, Give the a, audience what they want, Matthew. I mean, you can. You could probably infuse that. But I think mostly just some brother and sister stuff going on. The fact that they're both trained by this specific feudal lord. Um, again, it, that is actually developed in the, in the prequel in um, a, a bit in Tenchu 2. Um, just because it's uh, the idea of those two competing for attention sort of thing and also you can have them sort of saving each other I think it could be a nice buddy film without tripping over each other too much you wouldn't have to worry about dividing too many times you just have them go on separate missions and then meeting up at the end for a final thing I think it could work quite quite easily so firstly I'd just like to point out that after all these years I've only just realised that Onikage is literally demon ninja yes yeah <laughs> um, yeah, I'm on, on board as long as Onikagi A has his theme tune, oh. which is amazing. We should by point out that the music in fucking Tenchu is astonishingly it good. Really fucking is, amazing. isn't it? And secondly, he's still got to have that weird thing where he his only armor is on his shins. And he, <laughs> he blocks every move with his, his shins, shins. Yeah. by lifting his leg up really high and blocking swords, you, which you, is amazing. You'd think it was like some sort of glitch in the game, but it's not. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> to see that live action. Actually, somebody doing that, that would. I be think okay, if you have a good good stunt team, you could do that quite easily. But of course, the big question. Will you have the original shuriken in it, or will they be replaced by kunai knives in order to bring back the British uh, classification mm. problems at the time? Uh, again, for a Japanese audience, I don't think they care. So I think they'd go um, shuriken um, or kunai. Actually, I'd say fuck it, go everything. Because it's 2005, we've got Naruto audience now. Uh, so they're used to these things, and they're getting more soft with it, I think. So I think, yeah, do everything. And do it right for Japan, and then let the world figure out what they want to do with it. Is my opinion. Don't replace them with sausages like in Ninja Turtles 2. Sausages or walkie talkies? <laughs> <laughs> That's sausages up close, walkie talkies for a distance. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> so that's my uh, that's my shout, Jack. Hope you liked it. Loved it. Mm. I'm a big weeboo. Love it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's transition over to the man who will take us home for this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stuart Ash. So, interestingly, mine comes from the same company that now owns the rights to Tenchu. Mm. Although I believe they've never done anything with it, yeah. really. So well, this is well, the they might be. Mm. Yeah, well, maybe mm. yeah. now. Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, so this is weirdly for me by far the most recent game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nobody was expecting that from you, Stuart. That's no. we, we've all picked much older games. <laughs> that, that is odd, isn't yeah. it? That really is. Everyone's expecting some, some yeah. dark uh, retro game from like the. 80s. I mean, my yeah. first pick was Superman 64, but as <laughs> many of you will know, I have actually sold that screenplay to DC Comics. Um, it's literally a napkin with he flies through rings and it is foggy written on it. And apparently I so totally that, that, beat out all the other scripts. So that's that's what Man of Steel was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty, it's Not pretty much off. a direct sequel. We, we are copying a lot of the story beats, to be fair. His dad is killed by weather. Yeah, no, just by a ring this time. <laughs> they don't even explain why he's alive again. <laughs> he respawned. So yeah, this is Bloodborne oh. by FromSoft, probably or From Software, I From suppose, Software, even their yeah. full name. Uh, it's probably my favouritest game ever. So mm. it's kind of an odd sidestep from the Dark Souls series, where it takes over a lot of the game mechanics, but it's faster paced, has transforming weapon mechanics and things. But more importantly, it's not in one of these fantasy worlds. It's in a different fantasy world, <laughs> a sort of uh, Victorian <laughs> England. Um, type of thing, or pre-Victorian England, maybe? Like Edwardian, I think. Yeah, Edwardian is probably a better shout, I would have said, yeah. But things are so fucked up in it, it's hard to tell. So um, I'll spoil this a little bit, but hey, the game's been out years, and it was free on PlayStation Plus. Yeah, if you haven't played Bloodborne by now, I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Although now I feel bad because it is the most recent game. Anyway, play anyway, it's good. So the idea behind it is the protagonist... So to, as as it is, because it's always a very blank slate, is some sort of foreigner who's gone to this town of Yarnum in order to have a special type of blood transfusion to cure some ailment, which is never made uh, in any way clear what that is. Um, it seems to go badly for him because he passes out, has a very weird vision about werewolves catching fire as they attempt to kill him and little monsters everywhere, mm. wakes up, realises that the person administering the blood is gone, everything is empty except for an actual werewolf which rips him, well, to fucking pieces, basically, because oh. it's too hard for you to beat the start of the game. But rather than dying, he goes to this place called the Hunter's Dream, where he is fitted with weapons and a bit of armour, and they're like, well, you got a, you're a hunter now. He's like, what? Just wanted some blood. No, no, <laughs> you're a hunter now. And if you don't help us hunt and kill all the beasts that infect Yarnum every so often, you'll just keep dying coming back here forever. And the hunt must finish before the dawn will rise. Oh. And nobody really explains particularly what's going on. Although I should point out, it is it has a much more traditional narrative than something like Dark Souls. You can actually piece all this one together, whereas Dark Souls is more sort of deliberately ambiguous. But mm. uh, yeah, so I'm pretty much convinced you couldn't really do it justice, but I would really like to see somebody try. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they've tried more traditional narrative stuff with it in comics, which I don't think really worked quite yeah. when you sort of focus I on agree. the minutiae of it. Because the whole point of the game is you basically the people in the town are slowly turning into werewolf things and you have to kill them all, except it 
turns into something way beyond that as you discover actually the werewolf is just a small facet almost like a side effect of this um body known as the healing church mm. which is uh, using the blood and stuff that they've got from lovecraftian creatures to try and evolve past humanity yes. and as you go along it gets more and more extreme mm. to the end uh, yeah them trying to ascend as gods essentially this is become exactly elder gods it, yeah. yes and they've managed to construct sort of extra dimensional spaces and there's all sorts of little um, you literally fight too. elder gods and there's a whole kind of like the the concept of life and death and birth and and, and birth and the birth of children is a big thing and mm. oh yes it's a, it's a yeah. huge kind of concept and even massive spoilers for bloodborne the ending ends with the birth in a way in that kind it of can the, do yes one of the, the three endings yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. if you do the right thing and I'm trying not to spoil it. Kill the right person and have the correct final boss and do all the things. <laughs> yeah. Stuart knows what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a real kind of, I can see what you mean that it, it would be really difficult to do justice, but it's yes. one of the most interesting laws and mythologies. And I, I tried by dark souls before and I was like, oh, this is cool, but I'm not getting sucked in. And then bloodborne, I, I played it a little bit funnily at our friend Ben Allen's, and I was like, this is really cool. I'm going to pick this up eventually. I ended up borrowing it from him and just completely getting drawn in and being like, this this world is insane. The the visual style of it. And then when you realize it's all Elder God stuff, which is much later on, and there's just oh, yeah. a, a giant ball of eyes that is dangling from a ceiling and oh, God, the, drops into an, the brain of Mensis. There yes. you go, the brain of Mensis. And fuck me, that's a weird... Yeah. It gets weird and fucked up, and, and the amygdala realm oh thing. And, my oh god, my yes. god! Which this means, if you haven't played Bloodborne, this really means annoying. nothing to any of you. Mm, yeah. It sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth. <laughs> I got a quick question. Someone who hasn't played it uh, and, and know if loosely familiar with the idea of Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. So you're saying about obviously it'd be not nigh on impossible, but very very difficult to achieve. Yeah. May I put it to you then, rather than being, I don't think we should say, oh, make a TV series. I assume you'd have to do it as a filmed back-to-back Lord of the Rings trilogy style. Uh, no, I don't think you would. Oh, really? I think you, yeah, you could concentrate. It'd be sort of over the two and a half, maybe towards two and a half. Well, films, maybe towards two and a half films hours. Films can be, yeah. That's why so I was thinking for Legacy of Kane, so yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think it could be done. The thing you've got to preserve is this sense of sort of confusion and mystery. Okay. As opposed to just, here's a load of monsters and kill them. I mean, that's got to be in there. It's got to yeah. be for serial. I wonder if it gets in the hands of Hollywood. It would just be like, here's all the answers. So yeah. No ambiguity. Ta-da. This is it. You've got to get over the ambiguity. Yes, you've got to get over the fact that the uh, main character basically is completely alone, Mm. and they're sort of confused and crying and getting bits of information from people. You want minimal expository dialogue. So I was thinking a bit like Stalker, the old Tartovsky film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know. That's a bit too sort of empty because you've got the action and the stuff going on. On a similar line, then I'd recommend Quaron. Alfonso Cuaron. Oh, no, I thought Alfonso Cuaron oh, early on, Quaron, but no. Yeah, yeah. Something it completely pushed me over to... Oh, yes? Uh, Robert Eggers. Oh, shit. From mm. The Witch. Yes. Because he's done The Witch, his short films um, mm-hmm. in the past have gone this, and his next film, The Lighthouse, is yes. on this sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's a big mystery, isn't it? But it's at, like the, the tiny bits that are out sound fascinating absolutely yes and very, black and yeah. white and that kind of thing so pure atmosphere as well so there was an actual quote that i saw that absolutely sold me on this this is from the film critic leslie coffin talking about the witch and saying they shouldn't have marketed it as a horror film they shouldn't have had a horror film trailer because mm. 
were to quote, the less you know, the less you know about this movie, the better your experience will be. But everyone who saw it opening weekend probably walked in with too much knowledge and hype to really get as much out of it as they could have if the film had the veil of mystery for them. Mm. And like, that's it. Mm. That is that description of the witch is exactly what you would yeah. need from this. Yes, and also most importantly, of course, Eggers, um, due to his surname, sounds like he's got a playground nickname already, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, that is the most important thing for a director. Yeah. An onset yeah. name, yeah. yeah. All the uh, football chants you can have. Eggers, 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 <laughs> oi, oi, oi! Every time he's on set, amazing. <laughs> so, and the music you've got almost in the bag because Bloodborne yeah. has a fantastic it soundtrack, yep. particularly the expansion. Um, something else, I wouldn't want any super well-known actors in it you don't mm. want a tom cruise in it or anything you want people most you would vaguely Him doing his run thing. down the streets of yes. old yarnum just like yeah <laughs> with his giant cuban heels <laughs> and his whip cane thing and everybody else around. standing in a ditch yeah and looking through the um actors that from software frequently use in dark souls bloodborne etc there are a load of small part actors mm. who you sort of recognize wouldn't necessarily um you know come up with jenny funnel alan cordoner steven elliott wildem vanderpew uh connor byrne daniel flynn and the brilliantly named Pookie Quesnel, which wow. is one of my favourite Pookie Quesnel? But, so I have no idea who that is, but that's the best I know, name I've that ever is amazing, heard. isn't it? And for the sort of, if you do want a few faces, you've got Peter Serafinowicz. Oh, that Dark was going to be my invention, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Ruth Negger is in Dark Souls 2. Yep. And Hannah John Kamen uh, was oh. in 2 as well. Mm-hmm. As a talking cat. Interesting. Inexplicably. But um, so they're in there if you want a little bit. If you really need some sort of known face with gravitas, get Willem Dafoe oh. in. Maybe mm. as German the first hunter. Yeah, he'd make a good And he's in the lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. Ah. So yeah, yeah. The, there you go. The, got the connection, uh, connection already. There, yeah. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure it could be done justice to, but I think that team would do the best job of it. And I'd be very interested to see it and probably very disappointed and pissed off by it. Because the problem <laughs> is if it's your favourite thing, you do yeah. not suffer any errors, you know. That's why I didn't pick Bioshock. And Assassin's Creed already been done perfectly, right, Matt? So yeah. He's got nothing to... Moving on. <laughs> no problems right, there. On. Moving on. Who would you cast? Michael Fassbender. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Moving on. Sorted. <laughs> no problems with that film. Nope. I mean, there are, but not worry. What are talking about? <laughs> There's no time. There's no time. We've run out of time, listeners. We're out of time for the, myriad, the myriad problems with the Assassin's Creed. Three three hit Matt up on Twitter if you want to know more about his thoughts on Assassin's Creed. Yeah, I'll fucking tell you Don't. what Don't. Don't. <laughs> For gift. therein lies madness. <laughs> much the madness like of Matthew Stogden. The madman's insight. You have consumed too much. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. Exactly. So, yeah, that is some video games we'd like to see turned into films. Do you have any suggestions, listeners? Please let us know. I'm sure there's plenty of ones. Do you think there's been any good ones? Because we don't. Is there a good one we haven't heard of somehow that we don't know about? So, yeah, if you have any suggestions, ladies and gentlemen... Please tweet at us. I'm pretty sure I was going to say The Last of Us and keep screaming at us all the over and over. The Last of Us! The Last of Us! It's already a film. Shut up. <laughs> We're at Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on all the social medias and all that good stuff. We're on Bumble. We're on Bumble, we're on Grinder, we're, we're on Habbo Hotel. Habbo yeah. Hotel. Oh, Habbo Hotel. Yeah. That's a fucking callback. Sony Friend Factory. Something so <laughs> obscure. Oh you couldn't even connect to it through a website. You had to download a client. <laughs> I thought we should be on Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just, if you want to, you want to come sleep in the Sequelizer I mean, space. We recorded your house, Matt. You could do that. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but also, fuck no. <laughs> also, they'd have to sit there and explain to them why Assassin's Creed is actually all right. 
right? <laughs> They'd leave fast. And leave you don't have to reviews. pay. You just have to listen to Matt pitch <laughs> Assassin's Creed films. I have to, to watch you. you watch films <laughs> <laughs> in order to judge you as an appropriate housemate. So on that note, thank you, Stuart, for being part of the sequelizers and hopefully we'll have well, you back you on in the future. Thank you for this opportunity to talk shit. <laughs> <laughs> to pick a modern video game franchise and disappoint your audience. <laughs> oh, Stuart's full of like no, shit old it, games that you'll turn it, into. Eric and the Floaters, the movie. <laughs> Chubby Gristle, the movie. Exactly. Um, you, went, you went critically acclaimed one of the best games of the last ever, Bloodborne. And you're like, oh. <laughs> I want the worst game ever turned into a best film ever, Stuart. <laughs> Squidge the movie just wouldn't work. Squidge the movie. Oh, dear. And thank you, listeners, for listening. And the rest of us will catch you very soon. Season four cometh. <laughs> <laughs>